Welcome to Necessary Rebels. I'm Sandra. And I'm Kanna. We're two professional women who are passionate about tackling racism and inequalities in life and work. Whether you're in the USA or the UK, change is happening. Do you want to know how to be actively anti-racist? Do you want advice on challenging racism? Do you know how to have those uncomfortable conversations? Then lean in and join us with great tips from professionals on how to be a necessary rebel. Welcome to Jade. Jade is a professional working in technology at one of Britain's largest television and broadcasting companies. She's a passionate advocate of equality and transformative change, and she played an integral role in setting up a women in leadership program in her organization. Thanks for coming on, Jade. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome. So, Jade, straight to the difficult questions. <laughs> so, the first one is. What do you think the main problems are with equality and diversity in television and broadcasting? It's such a huge question and it's something that working for a organisation, a broadcasting organisation um, in TV and in media, it's, it's really funny because what I found certainly at the beginning was the workforce in regards to the wider organisation was more diverse than what I felt like we were seeing on screen. And I've always felt like that in the, even when growing up, considering acting and things like that, I just thought there wouldn't really be a place for someone like me um, or it'd be really hard or difficult to get a role, right? Because I just felt like it wasn't very inclusive. It wasn't very representative of society, And it's only started, I feel, to become like that, where you're seeing mixed race families, for example, in shows and different dynamics, but they're still kind of fixated on kind of one view of what a family looks like in TV. Or, you know, if you go to America, for example, there are a lot more um, diverse TV shows or TV shows for the black audience and as opposed to I feel like in the UK Um, so I feel like in the UK it's still catching up there's a lot more work to do on screen and then I feel the same for behind the the scenes as well Um, it is very dominated by, by what I feel one group of people and is not as diverse and inclusive as it could be. It's really interesting, isn't it? You kind of want there to be also, because you say behind the scenes as well, so there should be kind of diverse storytellers who are sharing their unique perspectives as well. A hundred percent. And you, you don't you don't feel like that's happening. No, you know, especially people writing the stories. There's so much, there's diversity of thought when you have different screenwriters, different, you know, people on even on the camera, the way that they'll capture something or the ideas that they'll put forward. And I just don't feel like it's diverse enough. And it's only it's it's the cracks of it are there, but it's still the minority. And in your opinion, kind of in a nutshell, what what do you think the main barriers are? Where do you see, like, the where does the responsibility for that lie? It lies with the organisations. It lies with the people in power, right? If everything comes from me from top down. 
So if they're making the noise about it and they're pursuing it and that's one of their goals and their objectives, then it will happen. Just like anything, you know, monetary, if they want to hit certain goals, that will happen. And I think they need to take the same the same sense of responsibility. So the CEOs of these organisations, the heads of the production companies, the casting businesses and companies, it, it starts with them to, to make that change. We met right after George Floyd and it was such a strange time, wasn't mm, it? It really was. We were living in this really strange place. And me and you kind of just started talking about the work that we were both doing in our organizations. And we were kind of, I think we, I think we ended up spending an hour talking about <laughs> all of the work that needed to be done and, yeah. and how passionate we were about this work. And I just... And I was just really impressed by the work that you were doing. So one of the things I wanted to ask you was, and, and, you know, we spoke about this before, but I think it would be good for our listeners, is what those kind of initial conversations were like in the organization after the death of George Floyd. When it first happened, it was really weird because all of the Black community just pulled together and sought out each other. And we looked at each other, checking in for one on, you know, on your black colleagues, on your black friends and saying, you know, are you OK? And then when we looked up, the whole business was acting like normal. Mm. And that felt really weird because you as a black person or a person of colour felt something so emotive and so deep running And then the world around you was acting like nothing had happened at all. And it was horrible. And so what happened was we were seeking a response from our organisation. And the response that came out initially was one of, you know, we really support diversity and inclusivity and and they acknowledge the tragedy of what happened to George Floyd. And there was all this, you know, really positive messaging that as you started to go down and read down, there was, however, as a news corporation broadcaster, we really need to focus on staying impartial. And that really, really, it was like a punch in the stomach infuriating absolutely infuriating absolutely infuriating and I just thought wow here's an organization that has so much reach that is in millions of people's homes and has responded in such a manner but there was such anger all over across the organization because that communication got posted on like a a site basically when all colleagues can communicate and comment and the comments from everybody even allies right who weren't from the black community were just completely outraged and were responding to the ceo directly he received inundated emails in his inbox um i emailed him i emailed him um and then he was just he was just so overwhelmed he didn't know what hit him and he sought help because he was just like, you know, I don't know what to do with this and I 
didn't expect that and I feel so bad that I've said something wrong. He actually just acknowledged that he was wrong and he apologised to everybody who he had offended and said, you know, it's not, he, he went back and he said, it's not okay. It absolutely isn't. And upon, ref- he's hit, he actually was honest and said he'd gone away, he'd reflected on what he'd said, he'd gone and spoke to people about the issue because he, really he was coming from a place where he was so disconnected from it that although the tragedy to to him it was which i'm not i'm not saying that i know but what i can imagine is that to him it was a death and a horrible death due to race but there was still disconnect yeah and so once he reflected and spoke to people about it he was like this is where i went massively wrong like that is a step in the right direction to admit that you didn't get it right because that's yeah. what we want we want people to do this work and know that they're not always going to get it right, but you won't know you're not getting it right if you're not doing the work. And so that's a really important step in this process. And the fact that he could then apologize yeah, and to say he knew he hadn't gotten it right at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And then it, you know, he sought the help of um, he, he then organized um, through people who had commented on the post on his post. He then sought put in meetings with them, the CEO. And he said, look, tell me about, tell me about this. Tell me about how you're feeling. I want to learn and I want to grow in this area because I, I hold my hands up. I didn't get it right. And he did that. And he did that with several people. And I, you know, I gave him a few references of, of, of things to read, of things to, to kind of know. And then I said, look, because I worked with him on, you know, the women in leadership program and changing the gender split within our organization. And I said, look, let's apply this the same way we did, we did for gender, in that it takes actionable measures to change this and shift this within your organization. And he thought it was a really good um, kind of example, because then he he kind of, he could link it, he said the unfairness with gender, okay, I can kind of see that now. And it was really positive. And then, you know, from that came a £30 million commitment to diversity and inclusivity as a whole, and £10 of that to the Black community. Wow. Hold on to that, because we're going to ask you what you're going to do with that later on. Yeah, (laughs) I'm running running ahead. (laughs) Had you had any of those conversations before the death of George Floyd and... And, you know, what was the response then? It's really tough because I admit I felt really uncomfortable broaching um, anything around race within my organisation. I think a lot of people felt the same way. And other issues like the LGBTQ plus community, disability, social mobility, gender, those issues seem to be, yeah, really we'll tackle those that they're they're comfortable uh, topics to deal with for the organisation as as far as I think they managed it and handled it. In terms of race, um, we have uh, a multicultural network and I know that they were doing a lot of work to um, try and have this conversation, but admittedly there wasn't really traction behind it. The most that 
to some things that were done were, were there were talks there were some talks um and some things around bringing awareness to different cultures within our organization by celebrating certain religious holidays and um kind of bringing um celebrating black history month as an example and then what educational pieces would be shown to the customers via the platform um and and stuff like that but in terms of real education real discussion real conversation and real like movement around this i would say no i guess like we keep hearing about this same issue every single oscar season and yet it just continues do you think that other film tv broadcasting organizations are now kind of pulling their weight and looking to tackle this seriously i think that they are i think that's coming from the pressure of what's happened and everything that's unraveled i think there's slow progress but if i'm honest i would have expected us to be a long way ahead of where we actually are now just given like the very like globalization the fact that people can travel and across country like so easily and people are just mixed mixing with each other more right and that's how the world is looking and I just feel like on tv we're not really reflecting that we're still sticking to those traditional senses of and 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 I and it's being dominated predominantly by one race right um in terms of the stories that are told um but admittedly I do think thing places like Netflix and you know some some other platforms are doing really well in bringing more to the forum um I do think that they are like I I go through Netflix now and I see you know oh they have stepped up their game for real they have really stepped up their game really really stepped it up but I think they're just a forward a forward-thinking company anyway young you know dynamic so I think that that's going to be the trend. I really do. I feel really positive about it. You know, when you were doing all this work in the organization, kind of after those initial conversations, did you find it really difficult getting people on side? So did you have to do quite a lot of convincing that this was the right thing to do? And what was that process like? It's really funny you say that. So we started um, almost like a discuss and support community for the Black community and its allies after this happened and we've been speaking every week for an hour on different topics um that affect um the black the black community and the and the black experience so you created safe spaces basically yeah and that was just through people in our organization and we just banded together and every week we talk about something different and then we used it to also act as a vehicle to push our exec into action and we even got them and some people were like and it included allies right so we used it as a support mechanism for the black community but also an opportunity for our allies to learn so we opened it up to everyone so that we could just have the conversation and it just started to be really effective in that allies said you know this is the way I thought things were. I thought there was equality. I thought the problems that you guys talk about on this call 
I never even knew really existed within an organisation or that you felt like that. And we started to have real conversation and the call still exists today. And we've been having exec on there. And then what's happened out of that is that allies have joined. It's turned into a call of like 300 people. (laughs) That's incredible. Who join on a weekly basis to just sit in and listen and learn. And we have debates on there, right? We have debates and we have healthy debates and it's not a case of attacking anyone. It's the case of, right, you're not aware of this. This is not your set of experiences. And so all we can do is talk about it. But to answer your question, I have felt uncomfortable in certain instances because I'll give you an example. We we Within my area, I recently got this company in to do um, some listening sessions with people from the Black, Asian and minority ethnic communities to see how they were feeling, uh, in particularly after... Um, the death of George Floyd and they said that they felt underrepresented they said that they look up and they don't see anyone like them they said that they they have to they feel like they can't be themselves at work they said a, a, a whole raft of things that they just feel like that their white colleagues receive preference as opposed to them in regards to recognition job opportunities progression promotion everything right so I'm going to my leadership and showing them this data and I'm getting mixed views I'm getting some people who are disinterested not saying anything some people who who are really passionate about it and want to make a change but they want to do it on the cautious side because they don't want to disrupt anything And then you've got some people who don't know what to do, don't know the answer. So they come to you for the answer. And then you've got people who, you know, find words like white privilege, very antagonistic. And they'd rather label it white advantage and things like that. And then we get into a whole debate over that. And it's kind of like, there's such a mixture, but there is a resistance, you know, with any change there was resistance and I felt it with when we were trying to change the dial on gender that you know men were afraid of positive discrimination this is exactly what you expect though because if people weren't if you weren't if it wasn't difficult we wouldn't be having these conversations so you 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 kind of have to expect it because in order for there to be change um you have to have these kind of difficult conversations like it, it just won't change otherwise but you know what? That, people are talking about it. Yep. <laughs> okay. And, and and if people are talking about it, that's that's one step in the right direction. As far as I'm concerned, I think people need to have these these discussions. And that's exactly what you would expect. And actually, that's the positivity and beauty that I've seen in it is that you've seen allies actually say something, you know, before I feel like people wouldn't have said something. But now people are are standing up and saying, no, actually, we're not going to take that. We're not going to stand for it. And I think that's what has been great about the organisation, that they've stood up and said, right, we're going to listen now. We're going to listen and we're going to do something and we're going to learn. And I think just taking, it's happening everywhere, right? You're getting resistance, but then you're getting people who are willing to listen and willing to learn. Um, and like you said, Sandra, you can't change the dial if you don't first have 
have those difficult conversations because at the other side of that is growth. Yeah, that's right. If I don't know about something, I'm going to ask someone that does or has that set of experiences just to check my thought process, you know. And I think this has caused a lot of people to check their thought process. And another thing that I that worries me is that people are looking to us, people of colour, to be the biggest part of that change. Like yeah. I recently had an interview with the Indian filmmaker Mira Nair, who directed the TV adaptation of A Suitable Boy. And the show cast a lot of Asian people, but this particular interview made me feel so uncomfortable because the host kept like heckling Mira on why every single person who worked behind the scenes and on the set wasn't Asian. And I have never had an interview with a white director in in that kind of way, like saying, oh, oh but why, why weren't they all, you know, ethnic minority? Um, it made me feel like all of the responsibility is being put on people of colour to tackle the issue. People of colour, their voices don't seem to be heard. And then for, for, for like you've said here is that, you know, this director has then been badgered as to why there isn't diverse representation there. But hold on a minute. Did she, did that person even feel like they could? There are so many people who have responsibility and executive responsibility for those decisions and that, you know, ultimately have to have to have their strategic plan on how these things are enacted on set. And how about this? Do you think it's a fear of organisations that if they do employ black people, um, Asian, minority ethnic people into senior exec roles, that there's a fear there that they're just going to employ their own? Well, I, you know what? It, I'm not a psychologist, but I was listening to an interview with the one of, I can't remember her name, that one of the... Um, this kind of squad um, leaders in, in you know, the Democratic Party who is um, a Muslim woman of colour in the States. And she keeps getting attacked by Trump. He just keeps attacking her. And she said on this interview, she was like, do you know what? He's never attacked my work. He's never attacked my policies. He's never attacked my politics. He's never attacked anything I've said. He's always gone back to me not being born in the States and where I'm from. And this is interesting because I'm like, well, the psychology of that is you don't feel threatened because they're bringing something to the table. What you're threatened by is just that they don't look like you. They don't sound like you. They don't come from where you come from. It's other. It's fear of other. It's fear of the foreign. But let's face it, we're still the minority, so we're never going to fill up all of the spaces. But we need to have space at the table. There need to be there need to be spaces created for people of color at those senior tables to make decisions. You cannot make decisions without people of color around the table. I recently did a commercial, and on the set of the commercial, um, this was a particular campaign where they had a campaign that didn't go so well and it had to be taken down. And during the interview, we did some kind of, you know, behind the scenes a video. They were asking me, you know, what I thought. And I said, well, I wonder who's sitting around the table now because of the mistake they made. And that was a real obvious mistake. By seeing that commercial, you knew they didn't have a person of color making those decisions because if they had, that wouldn't have come out. It wouldn't have come out. 
Exactly. In the same way, um, I can probably name this one: the H and M campaign with the little, the little black boy. Oh, absolutely! Oh, it's, 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 it's these, these, the mistakes they make is because we're not at those tables. Because if we're at those tables, we can say, "Hold up, wait a minute. Let's just think about this for a second. Let's let's really think this through before you put this out there." And if they do have people around those tables, I hope they feel confident enough to speak up about this stuff as well. Yes, exactly. And feel and feel encouraged to speak up. You know, that's another thing. It's like you can have people around the table, but if you don't allow them to speak and you don't make their voices feel valued and heard, then they're not going to. And actually, I don't know if you've you've read um, June Sarpong's book, Diversify. I've just um, started it. I'm very, <laughs> yeah, I've just started it. so she's great and she came and did a talk about that to our organization and this is before George Floyd and you know what's really sad is that businesses organizations seem to feel like there needs to be a reason for diversity and more inclusivity right to the point that June's actually broken it down to the bottom line that more diverse like groups of people making decisions having a seat at the table leads to better business full stop full stop exactly in terms of monetary value in terms of um you know a lot of things ideas because you have that diversity of thought you don't you know fall into those mistakes that you were just mentioning there Sandra because you have someone there that can represent that again all of these organizations these businesses they're serving real people right they can't select what type of customer that they have they have a diverse plethora of people and so if you're not having people at the table that represent the customers that you're serving you're going to do things wrong. You're going to not get it right and you're not going to be inclusive and representative. You're not going to design and make things for for everyone. It's also interesting to know who's who's kind of in charge of those diversity conversations because what I'm noticing um, in organizations that I'm working with, it's, it's our white colleagues who are in charge of the diversity conversation. And I'm like, what's up? Like, let's... Like, like what's up this is really funny we were on annual leave both of us were on a holiday leave and we decided to take a meeting about diversity inclusion and black lives matter and we and this is no this is not a reflection of the white people this is a reflection of the system there's a system there were two white women who were taking that meeting with us who were in charge of this in the organization and we're not being paid for this work we were taking our own time to do it it's really ironic that you have white people driving that agenda but not having the experiences of what needs to change yeah and it's not just about um you know, I hate the word kind of engagement, like don't engage people, involve them. And the other thing that bothers me is, is it shouldn't just be about um, financial gain or benefit. Sometimes we have to do things because they're the right thing to do. do. Absolutely. I say this all the time. I say this all the time. And it's, it's really funny because at the minute it's kind of the current debate that I'm going through and it depends on the person, right? 
it depends on the leader. You'll have some leaders who really do think it's the right thing to do and are just like, no, well, we're going to do this because it's it's the right thing to do. And I know in my organisation, you know, my CEO is very passionate about the environment and the um, and wildlife and things like that. So a lot of investment you can see has been put into that because that's what he resonates with. That's what he cares about. And it does make the company look good as well when it engages in like philanthropic activity and stuff. But to the point where in our organisation, we took out all plastics. So there's nothing from our logistics to everything so that it could be environmentally friendly. And you see the effort that gets outpoured into that. And you just you just hope and wish that that same energy could be brought to this. That's right. That's right. Invest in it in the same way they invest in other really important issues as well. Because it's one of the most important issues. And diversity is not tokenism. You need people in your team that can represent the Black experience. Okay. And that means hiring more than one, period. Okay. It's not tokenism. In the beginning, you mentioned 10 million pounds. Mm hmm. You want to know what you're going to do with that money? (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's what I'm wondering as well. There's so much we want to do with that money. Um, I mean, it's over the course of a few years, but. it's a lot of money and we are in the process of setting up a black network within my organization because it doesn't it doesn't exist um and there's a group of us um super talented individuals who literally found each other through our own work that we were just doing um in the organization and just after everything that happened with George Floyd um, so we found each other and we just said, right, what are we doing? How are we spending this money? You know, and we're in the process of getting ex- an exec sponsor. So we've we've got someone who's going to sponsor us, who's going to be our voice to the CEO and everyone. Our organization also put in place a diversity action group, which is um, which they selected people applied. They were interviewed and they were selected and it covers the thing with that it covers gender race social mobility it covers everything right that's the 30 mil so we needed something and we were saying well we need something and we need to set something up that just deals with the black community right and it's black issues so we got together formed a group and now we're convincing the exec to make us an official network within the organization and they're super on board yeah, super on board, and it's been amazing because they're giving us access to this to this money. We're putting down areas of everything that needs to change. So the way that black people are, the narrative of black people in the media, in television, um, we want to change the dial on that. So we'll be having those conversations and putting initiatives in place. We're also looking at technical poverty in black communities and all the technology that we have that we don't use and we throw away how can we repurpose that and recycle it you know during covid and lockdown a lot of kids have been asked to work from home with the assumption that oh yeah they've got access to a laptop think about all they don't 
And think about the black community, right, in certain areas, they don't have just that access. So how can we how can we serve them in some way? How can we go to schools and colleges and just just out there showcasing amazing talented black individuals in legal roles, in finance roles, in project management roles? So that they know people like them exist in organisations like the one that I work for. You know, there's that. And there's also how can we attract more black people? How can we retain them? How can we get them up into senior positions from the bottom, but also hire them into senior positions? You know, the ratio, we've got the figures of the ratios and they're not good enough. And our work is going to be changing that training as well for managers right so our white colleagues um managers who don't know how to deal with the rate the issue on unconscious bias and racial awareness so we found this amazing um kind of organization called hustle crew who actually go out to organizations and, and do this training and have been doing it since 2016 um but have been completely inundated since the death of george floyd on on getting help organizations but the thing the challenge we've got on our hands is we're a kind of global organization so we've got america italy germany the uk all with each of their different challenges in diversity and inclusion this is big and exciting and just thinking about all the the changes you can make all the 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 difference you can make and that's really really exciting so it's a it's a good place to be in to know that you can you know small changes make big differences and just sorry just to add we've also um one of one of the guys is has launched a, a, a something called a unity program and um it's an eight month program um we've had um john amici come and speak we've had akala come and speak a series of discussions and workshops to talk about first black history and then it's going to go into workshops and book clubs where you know we're going to get people encourage people to read and then have conversations around those books have conversations about what has been learned and what has been read and i think that's fostering that conversation is going to open a lot of doors uh, and then we've also got um let's talk about race sessions where um we're having groups of kind of 15 people and just talking about race, going through exercises and saying, asking people what they, what types of words do they feel comfortable saying, not saying and learning and learning from it. Cause I, even I feel like I'm learning through having these conversations, right? Yeah. We're learning all the time. We're, you know, we're not experts in this field. So we're learning as we go along as well. I mean, we, we've got lived experience. So we, we bring a lot to the table, but we're learning all the time 100% what changes you'd like to see next first of all I think just having conversations around race I just want it to be comfortable I feel at the moment it's still uncomfortable because it's very new I want us I want white people to be educated on the experiences of black people of Asian people ethnic minority people I want them to be educated I want to be I want them to be educated about their own history and the history of this country as well right I think that's super important to just know that a lot of us didn't just land here we didn't Mm -hmm. just say (laughs) 
expensive going over there, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of history that's so important in understanding where we are today. And I want that to be known. I want that to be known everywhere. And I want hearts and minds to change. I want hearts and minds to change because if hearts and minds change, then we're not going to have to be having conversations about there's not enough people at the exec or the or, or up there. There's not enough um, of us on the screen. There's not enough. It will just be normal. That's normal. <laughs> it will just be normal. Exactly. In the way that we see the world, in the way the world looks, it will just be normal. Okay, you do, you won't have to watch something and say, "Oh, did you see how many people of color is in this?" It will just be normal. Yeah, <laughs> you don't have to even comment on it. Yeah, or even just leaving leaving London or leaving the country, I just don't even have to think about the color of my skin and how I'm going to be received. I don't want to think about that. You're really, really talking about. Not not just numbers and not just like, I want to see this and I want to see that in terms of statistics. You're really going for the, like you said, hearts and minds. It's it's lovely to hear that. It really is. Because I think people, yeah, like we were talking about earlier, might focus on like the business side of this. But actually, the, the truth is we're all people. We're one race. One race. Absolutely, like you said. Jade, it's been such a pleasure talking to you really insightful um just i think you've left our listeners with a lot a lot of things to think about one thing i'll say is having a more representative representative workforce helps broadcasters to create innovative imaginative and authentic television that reflects modern day britain and the lives and experiences of the whole audience and that's what i want to leave people with today do the work you you left you're leaving us with a great example of a CEO who didn't get it right the first time, did the work to try and get it right the second time, and that's exactly what people what CEOs need to be doing, senior managers need to be doing, have the conversations, get the work done. Don't don't be nervous about getting it wrong. You probably will get it wrong. Yeah, and it's okay to get it wrong. It's okay to get it wrong because you have the opportunity get it right absolutely and I just want to say how brave you are to have those conversations with your CEO I mean a lot of people are like what Um, I'm really blown away like you you're you're just a trailblazer and it's been so inspiring listening to you I feel really excited about the work you're doing actually and really want to hear how it's going will you come back and share absolutely I would love to and I I really hope to tell you amazing things um and I do have to admit that my organization has been has been great you know in in taking this on and and giving us the space in the room to shape how we want it to change and them taking our lead and their our direction so yeah and I, I just I'm just so grateful and fortunate to work with amazing people who have the same passion and the same hunger for change as as you two do. I just wanted to quickly say that the, the politician I was talking about earlier is Ilhan Abdullahi Omar. Well, thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you to our listeners. Thank you, Jade. And hopefully we'll see you again soon. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, guys. Thank you. You can find Necessary Rebels on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
and on Instagram at necessary underscore rebels underscore pod. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Necessary Rebels. This was an II Studios production. We'll see you for the next episode. Thank you for listening. <laughs>